morning, Riverside. How is everybody? Awesome. Welcome to Riverside Community Church. My name is Brian Doback. Guys, we're going to talk about Jesus today. Does that surprise you? Good. I don't want you to be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised. We're going to talk about Jesus today. Guys, we're in the Today we're beginning, as Ezra said, uh, uh, the beginning of an eight-week study in the book of Malachi. Uh, if you've read the book of Malachi, raise your hands. Okay, I'm just curious. It's okay if you haven't. Uh, Malachi is kind of an obscure book in Scripture, but it's really just an amazing, impactful message from God to the Israelites. Malachi, is, it's the last book uh, in the Old Testament. It's the last book uh, in the Old Testament. Between the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus in the New Testament, there's almost a 400-year period of silence from God. God didn't disappear. God didn't leave Israel. He didn't disappear. He simply did not speak to Israel through prophets during that period of silence. Guys, so the message to Malachi, it's the last word from God through a prophet to Israel before this 400-year silence. And more significantly, it's the last word from God before the word becomes flesh. Amen. Before the word becomes flesh. Malachi is essentially, it's, it's a heart-to-heart. It's what we're looking at here today. It's a heart-to-heart between God and Israel. It's given in a, in a somewhat of a, in a conversational style and somewhat of an, even a confrontational style. God is confronting Israel through Malachi. Guys, and, and God shows Israel, uh, he shows Israel tough love. We need a little bit of tough love every now and then, do we not? God shows Israel tough love through his message to Malachi by putting the spotlight on, on their sin, on their complacency, in their duties to God. And it's a fitting final plea to Israel. God's just like, I've said everything that I want to say. After Malachi, I've said everything I want to say before I send you myself in Christ. It's a fitting and final plea. Man, have you ever thought about you know, a man's last words? That's pretty insignificant before somebody dies. You know, what are his last words? Here, God's not dying, but before this 400-year silence, these are his last words. These words mean something in Malachi. They meant something to Israel, and they mean something for us today. So let's get into the scripture. Chapter 1, Malachi, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We're going to read it, we're going to pray, we're going to get in it. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, the scripture says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down. 
and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word, God. Thank you for all of your Old Testament scripture leading up to today in Malachi, the next eight weeks, Lord, but we cannot read your Old Testament scripture without reading it in light of New Testament scripture, God. Knowing what we know on this side of the cross, God, we we can make sense of your word through Malachi to Israel in light of Jesus. Lord, and I pray that we see that these next eight weeks, Lord, and I pray that we see that today. We see that in your word today. That when we leave our doors, these doors here today, and go back into our communities and into our neighborhoods and into our families and into where we work, God, what echoes through our hearts and our minds is, I have loved you. This should change our day, our lives. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to park in the beginning of verse 2. I have loved you. How have you loved us? I want to park there for a few moments. I recently uh, read a book. One of my books I have read this year was by Phil Riken called Loving Jesus More by Phil Riken. And he says, God's love is an ocean. God's love is not a standard, he says. It's an ocean. It is so overwhelming and so significant. All you can do is just be overwhelmed by it. Imagine being in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. You don't know what to do. There's nothing but water for miles and miles and miles. You can't do anything. It just overwhelms you. That is God's love. We can't grasp it entirely. We can't grasp the immensity of his love. So when I read that, I was like, man, (laughs) if that's the case, why do sometimes I feel, and why do I think all Christians feel like we're beached whales, dehydrating, getting chopped at by the enemy. We're dehydrating spiritually. Why? I want to try and answer that today in this scripture. Really, the answer is going to come all the next eight weeks, but I'm going to answer it today as well. Guys, I have loved you I want you to settle on those words. They're the foundation of everything that follows in Malachi. Really, they're the foundation of all of Scripture, not just Malachi. We read Scripture, we must read Scripture with those four words in our minds. I have loved you. Those four words. Those are the reference point for everything that we read in Scripture. So much can be said about God's love, it's inexhaustible. I am so glad that I don't have to just say whatever I want to say about God's love because I wouldn't know where to begin. I'm glad the text, I can allow the text to direct me. And that's what we're going to do today in this text. It's going to direct us into components of God's love. Not everything, but we're going to learn about God's love. Guys, I want you to really feel these words. I have loved you from God. How have you loved us? from Israel. It's easy to read them merely as words on a page. 
Guys, but we have to remember this is passion. Passion on paper. It's passion on paper. I actually think these words are expressed like a husband and a wife in a deep and complicated relationship. If you read your Bibles, which I know all of you are, <laughs> yeah. If you read your Bibles, you'll notice that God, all throughout Old Testament Scripture and New Testament Scripture, God compares his relationship to Israel like a marriage. God compares Israel to a groom that cheated on his wife. God compares Israel to a virgin that became a prostitute. In Jeremiah, God actually files for divorce against Israel for spiritual adultery. To exemplify his undying love for Israel, God calls his prophet Hosea to return to his wayward wife. Jesus views his relationship with his church and all the individuals in it like a marriage. These words, they have thousands of years of weight in them. Thousands of years of weight in them. So perhaps, when you're reading it at your home, it's not just, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Perhaps, it's, I have loved you! What? How have you loved us? Perhaps, <laughs> that's what it is. How have you loved us? Man, where does this come from? Where does that come from? We shouldn't snicker at Israel. If we haven't verbally, out loud, said, God, how have you loved me? We've said it in our hearts. God, how have you loved me? We all have. Guys, it's more than just words. There's something brewing in the hearts of the Israelites for them to spill out these words. I, how have you loved us? The question exposes the giant gap between God and Israel and the gap between God and us. You see, God knows. He knows his love as one thing. I have loved you. But Israel, they're seeing his love differently. He knows his love as one thing. Israel knows his love as another thing. Well, who's right? I saw somebody. God's right. God's right. I have loved you. What's Israel's measuring stick? What's happening here in their hearts? Guys, Israel is spiritually dehydrated. They are lethargic. They've always had a hot and cold and an up-and-down relationship with God. You see it all throughout Scripture. They continue to look at their circumstances as a nation. The temple, it's a shell of its former self. The nation is a, a shadow of its former glory. There's injustices everywhere around them. They feel like God has abandoned them. They see these injustices 
They feel like God has abandoned them and that he doesn't love them. God is right. I have loved you. Like Israel, we use our circumstances as a measuring stick, do we not? Sometimes we do. Maybe some of us are always using our circumstances as a measuring stick for God's love. For some of us in here right now, this is our relationship with God. I love you. You love me, God. You love me not. You love me. You love me not. You love me. You love me not. Let's be real. Let's be real, guys. Man, I just got a new house. I'm blessed. God loves me. A month later, I just lost my job. Oh my gosh, God, he doesn't love me. We use our circumstances as a measuring stick for God's love for us. Guys, what's God's measuring stick for his love for Israel, for us? It could be his word alone. I have loved you. If he says it, should we not believe it? If he says it, should we not believe it? But I want you to pay careful attention to these four words. I have loved you. God doesn't actually start this book by saying, you haven't loved me. You haven't loved me. He could. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He begins with his love. His first words in this book. I have loved you. He begins with his love. Love begins with God, not us. Love begins with God. He doesn't love them because Israel loves the him. That's not why he loves Israel. Guys, God loved them first. God loved them, loved them first. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10 through 10 and, and verse 19, the Scripture says, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because He first loved us. Amen. Everything starts with God's love. Everything begins with God's love. A right understanding of the position of God's love is how we get back into that ocean. Is where we get our nourishment. So God declares his love. I have loved you. But he doesn't leave them hanging on his word alone. Praise God for that. He gives us his word, but not only does he declare his love, he demonstrates his love. He demonstrates it to Israel, verses 2 through 5. The scripture says there, at verse, the end of verse 2, it says, Is not Esau Jacob's brother? This would have cut to the heart 
of Israel when he says that? The answer is the key to God's love. Israel would have answered, yes, he is. What's your point, God? (laughs) Yes. And yet God says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Strong words. First, we have to briefly discuss love and hate. You see, biblical love and biblical hate is far different than what we've made it today. Far different than what we've made it today. Today, love is an emotion. It's emotions. Love is emotions today. Biblical love is a choice. It's a choice. It's how we choose to relate to one another. God has emotions. You see it all throughout Scripture, and sometimes He does act on His emotions. But when it comes to Israel's status as God's people, as His chosen people, God doesn't act on His emotions. He acts on covenant. He has made a a covenant. He has outlined the contract, and He's the only one that has signed it. I'm not breaking it. Guys, God, man, He could break it if He wanted to. There's nothing that we really do that deserves this covenant to, be, to remain intact. God chooses to relate with us in this covenant of love. He operates on covenant. So from his love, he chooses to love Jacob and Israel with his covenant love. Love and hate here have to be understood as in the covenantal sense, as chosen or unchosen. Chosen or unchosen. So I want to give you an illustration that has to do with marriage. I'm not making this illustration to teach you anything about your marriage, but you probably will learn something about your marriage, and that's okay. My intent for this illustration is to teach you about God and His love. And yeah, it should spill over into our marriages and our relationships. Maybe in your marriage, you're saying those things to each other. I have loved you. What? How have you loved me? I clean the dishes. I fold your clothes. I work hard. Those red bottoms on your feet right now, I worked hard to buy them. That car you're driving, I bought that for you. That's love. That's how I love you. Man, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying the chores aren't important. The chores are important. They are a demonstration of our love for our spouses. They are. But if our love is based on the chores, we're in trouble. Because I don't always clean the dishes for my wife. I don't. I do chores, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't. Each spouse has to go back to the beginning. They got to go back to the choice. I chose my wife to be my wife. She chose me to be her husband. I thought there would be nobody 
that I would ever meet in the world that would be better than her. She thought that she would never meet a man ever that would be better than me. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Guys, we chose each other to share the rest of our lives together in this unconditional love, this covenant for richer or for poorer, for sickness and in health, right? For better or for worse. Those words mean something. It's a picture of God's love for us. Before Stephanie and I did anything in the marriage covenant, it all started with a choice. I really didn't know like, how this would all go. Sure, we dated for a couple years, but it was still a choice. And that's what we have to go back to. We have to go back to the beginning. The choice is the greatest act of love that we can imagine. Guys, love is not in the chores as much as it's in the choice. Tweet that. Facebook it. Insta it. I don't know what it is you do. Love is not in the chores as much as it's in the choice. Don't ever forget the choice that you made when you married your spouse. God did many things for Israel. Guys, he saved them, he delivered them, he prospered them, he multiplied them, he protected them, he provided for them. Those are like the chores of God. Don't get me wrong. The things that he's done for Israel are extremely important in his redemptive work. But if the Israelites are basing God's love for them based on those things, then they're in trouble. Because God doesn't always provide for Israel the way that they want. Does that make sense? Those are outcomes of his love. They are demonstrations of his love. But they're not the core of it. They're not the center of his love. He takes them back to the beginning. He takes them back to the birth. To the birth. He takes them back to the choice. I chose you. I chose you. God has a foundational love for his creation and everyone in it. A foundational love for everyone in it. But he chose Jacob. He chose Jacob to birth a nation of people for himself. A nation through which he would continue his special covenant love of unmerited love, unmerited grace that started with Abraham and would bring the Messiah to the world. So Jacob and Esau, they were twins. Esau was Jacob's elder brother. He was the firstborn. By the culture's traditions, God should have chosen Esau as the firstborn, but he didn't. He chose Jacob. He chose Jacob instead. He knew he was going to choose Jacob. He did it before that they were even born. It's not that Jacob was deserving it, deserving of it more than Esau. Neither one of them deserved God to make this choice to extend his covenant love. If you read Jacob's story, 
in Genesis, wow, God, what were you thinking? This guy, you chose this guy? God didn't choose Jacob because he was doing anything special. God just chose Jacob just because he chose Jacob. God's allowed to do that. We don't think that. We think differently, but God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God chose Jacob. And in so doing, he didn't choose Esau. So he promises that Edom, Edom is the descendants of Esau. He promises that Edom's status as unchosen, it won't change. It will not change. And he, and he reminds Israel that their status as chosen won't change. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. You are my chosen people. I have loved you. I have loved you. Because he has chosen Jacob to extend his covenant love to, he, that means Esau will not receive God's covenant love. This should be a great comfort to Israel. This should change the way, the way they are and how they act and, and the words that come out of their mouth. It should change their day. It should be a great assurance to them, and it should be for us too today. Guys, for us today, a measuring stick of God's love for us, it's his word, it's his declarations. I have loved you. I have loved you. But because of who he is, he doesn't leave us just hanging on his word. God gives us a demonstration of his declaration. Praise God for that. Guys, we're really good at making declarations, but we're really bad at demonstrating what we say. Are we not? Man, we can see it in our marriages. We see it in our own marriages. How did God demonstrate this completely and finally? He demonstrated it on the cross. I heard somebody say, Jesus. Jesus. Guys, Romans 5.8 but God demonstrates. The word's right there. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Christ died for us. Through Jesus, God has chosen to extend his election and salvation beyond the borders of Israel to all the nations. Through a relationship with Jesus, we get to participate in God's free, unconditional covenant love. We get to participate in this choice. Look at John 15, 16. Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. The Son pleases the Father in every way. The Son pleases the Father in every way. 
The fullness of the Father's love is on the Son. It's on the Son. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased, God said. When we have a relationship with Jesus by faith, the love that the Father has for the Son, we get it. Wow. Wow. You mean, after all I've done and who I am, you love me like that, God? When we put our, our, our faith in Christ, the love the Father has for the Son, we become dressed in it. And it's a covenant that we enter into, and He does not break it. It's unconditional. It's unconditional. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. Nothing. And it's not because there's anything sticky about us, like God just sticks to us. It's because Jesus bonds us to the Father. When God sees us, he sees Jesus. We get God's love, the fullness of his God's love through Jesus. God's choosing his choosing is an expression of his love that is meant to humble us. It's meant to humble us and remove boasting and remove entitlement and remove pride and remove self-reliance. God's love in Christ should motivate us. It should lift us up. It should free us. It should empower us. It should embolden us to obedience to servitude, to sacrifice. It should impact our relationships, relationships with friends and relationships with people in the church and relationships with our families and relationships with people in our communities. Amen. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then like Edom, you do not have God's covenant love. You do not have it. You do not have it. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, like Edom, you can build. You can build all you want. You can do some great things in your life. But ultimately, it's going to be torn down. It's going to be torn down. Guys, we have to... We have to wrestle with this concept of head knowledge and heart knowledge. Man, I see the words on the page, and I agree intellectually. I read them, and it's like, yeah, okay, I agree with that. That's cool. God loves me. Awesome. I agree with that. But there's no change in our lives because it's not sturdy. Our head knowledge, it gets pushed around by emotions it gets pushed around by circumstances, like it was for Israel. It gets pushed around by circumstances. Guys, this head knowledge, and then there's this heart knowledge. That's what we want. We want this to settle and make itself comfortable in our hearts. In our hearts. That's when our lives start to change. 
when we can wake up in the morning and start our day, God, you love me. God, I put my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. You love me, and that will not change. Imagine starting your day like that and then going forward, how that changes your whole day. Instead of waking up in the morning and remembering what happened the day before and starting your day, God, you don't love me. Imagine how that'll change your day. Guys, we need prayer and discipleship and, and ministry of the word in our hearts to, for this love to truly settle into our hearts so it can change our lives. We need those things, especially prayer. Most significantly, we need prayer and ministry of the word. Guys, why? I, this is why I think sp Israel is spiritually dehydrated and so are we. They're starting from the wrong place. They're not starting with God's love. They're not starting there. God, you love us. Everything begins with God's love. They're forgetting the choice that God made. We do that too. They're forgetting the choice that God made, and they have a head knowledge. They have a head knowledge, but it's not working in their hearts. Everything we begins with God's love for us. His love, not our love for Him. When we start trying to love Him in our own strength, this is what we get. That's what we get. He loves me. He loves me not. When we try to love Him in our own strength, God's love for Israel was unquestionable. But you can tell in the text there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect because there's a defect, not in God's love for them, but there's a defect in how they're viewing His love. There's a defect in their love that's based on their misunderstanding of God's love for them. We do the same thing. We don't understand God's love. We need to understand God's love first. We're going to learn the next seven weeks how this disconnect played out in their lives and in their actions towards God. God's going to put a spotlight on Israel. And we're going to see how this misunderstanding and this disconnect works. Works out in their lives. Guys, I love Jesus. I do. But I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm assuming that this happens for everybody else, too. And if not, I want to know your secret. <laughs> I love Jesus, but he really has a way of reminding me how much I really don't. I don't love him as much as I think I do. And he also has a way of reminding me of how much he loves me. He loves me so much more than I think he does. Does that happen to you guys? And it makes me wanting more. It makes me, it's what makes me come back. It makes me wanting more. God, thank you for showing me that I don't love you as much as I think I do. 
but thank you for showing me that you love me more than I think you do. I want more of you. I want more of this love. I want to know it more. Our prayers shouldn't be, God, help me to love, love you more. That's incomplete. It's insufficient. What we should be praying is, God, God, help me to understand your love so I can love you more. Help me to understand your love so I can love you more. That should be our prayer. It all begins with God's love. I have loved you. The Israelites, they love God. They do. They've had this relationship with God. The love is there. But in Malachi, God reminds them, you don't love me as much as you think you do. And here's why. I'm going to put the spotlight on the things that you're doing. You don't love me as much as you think you do. You can love me more, but you need me. You need me and my love to be able to love me more. Guys, God is constantly wooing us to Him and to His love. He's constantly drawing us, trying to draw us to His love and growing us in His love. Not necessarily in our love. No. He wants us to grow in His love. And when we grow in His love and understand and know His love, everything else just trickles down from there. Everything else just trickles down from there. And you know what? We can respond like verse 5 says. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Let's pray.